All right, we're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, picking up verse 15 through 22. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. Let me share this passage with you. That which has been already, and that which will be, has already been, for God seeks what has passed by. Furthermore, I see under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man, for a time for, for every matter and for every deed that is done. I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order that for them to see that they are but beasts. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there is no advantage for man over beast, for all is vanity. All go to the same place. All came from the dust, and all return to the dust. Who knows that the breath of man ascends upward, and the breath of beast descends downward to the earth? I have seen that nothing is better than that man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him. Well, this passage of Scripture, if you remember last week, we dealt with the, the different times. There's a time for this and this. And we saw a glimpse of uh, Solomon focusing on the things uh, under the heavens, which was he was having a, a perspective that was godly. He was seeing the hand of God working. But now we see that he's pretty much reverted back to the pessimistic viewpoint of life under the sun. And we've already dealt with the subject of death, but now uh, I think Solomon gives a very fatalistic view of death. Uh, if we look at the world around us, uh, without any view of God, we will probably have that same fatalistic view that, you know, this is life. When life ends, that's it. That's pretty much kind of what he's describing. But there's also, he focuses on what we see in the world around us and says, you know, what evidences of God is there? You know, if there is God, then, you know, why is he allowing so much evil in the world? And what we do see is a great deal of evil and wickedness in our world. And it seems like uh, justice prevails over and over. We see rapists and murderers, thieves, uh, seem to strike at will. And statistically, only a small portion of them are ever caught and tried and sentenced. And even those who are caught and tried, too often uh, the evidence is either lacking or tainted or they find some kind of technicality to get off on. And even when they're convicted, uh, the sentence sometimes does not seem to justify the, the crime. They seem to get more of a slap on the wrist. So this leads us to ask, is there really a God who cares about what happens around us? And if he is there, is he able to judge the wrongs that are happening? And if so, why aren't things getting better instead of worse? And so this viewpoint really is flawed that God will judge, but God judges in his own time, in his own way. We know that there is going to be an eternal judgment from God. And so that kind of makes us think, well, why doesn't God judge now? Well, sometimes he does judge now, but uh, unfortunately, Satan is the ruler of this world, and those who trust God 
see the works of Satan more than we see God sometimes. And so here's what we're looking at. Verse 15, I think I actually uh, ended with verse 15 last week, but let me reread that. That which is has been already, and that which will be has already been. For God seeks what has passed by. Now if you go all the way back to chapter 1, verse 9, you see very much the same thing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been is that which will be done. There, so there is nothing new under the sun. And so what we see is that we're really just kind of going through a cycle. Uh, what has already been done just continues to happen. Yes, there are advances in the ways that we do things. I share with you all, I think, when we cover this passage of Scripture. You know, we, we communicate differently. Uh, in the earlier days, you know, you had to send a messenger uh, to communicate with somebody else. Then I guess the Pony Express came, and then the telegraph, then the telephone, and now we've got cell phones and internet and all sorts of things. Well, you're still just dealing with communication. And so, yes, we may see advances, but really we're not seeing anything new. And so what we're seeing is that life just continues to go through cycles. But here, Solomon adds, for God seeks what has passed by. Uh, another way to interpret that is God will call the past into account. In other words, what people do, their deeds, their desires, they will all be held accountable unto God. So while we may think that life passes by quickly and is gone, God keeps track of everything. If you remember, we just got through with the study in the book of Revelation. And it says, the great white throne judgment, those are the lost people. God would have the book of life and the books well, the book of life basically was against them because their name would not be written in the book of life because they had not surrendered to the, to the Lamb of God as Savior and Lord. And so their judgment would be based on the books. And basically, I don't think that they're huge volumes with pages. The books basically are God's accountability of every single thing that's ever happened. He knows. I mean, he doesn't have to go back into some database. He, he just knows everything that you and I have ever done, everything we have ever said, even what we think and desire. He knows. And so God will call all things to pass in the past to account. And so we look and we see that there will be a day of judgment. And so Solomon's looking at judgment present on the earth. He's not thinking about the day of judgment where Jesus will come and he will conquer he will come back as this, uh, the ruling uh, uh, judge, but we will see that he will judge. The lost will be judged according to their evil deeds, and the saved will be, uh, not be judged by their deeds because our sins will be forgiven, but will be judged according to our faithfulness and our obedience to the Lord. So regardless of what man thinks, God does not ignore the wrong that's taking place. His judgment is not always the here and now, but it is yet to come. And so then verses 16 and 17 deal with the wickedness in place of just, justice and righteousness. Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that it is in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. So I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time, uh, for every matter and for every deed is there. So Solomon does realize that there is a God who will judge, but 
he basically is looking at you know, all the wrong that he sees in the world, and he sees a lot of wrong. And to be honest with you, Solomon may, may be a part of the wrong that's happening because Solomon was a great, powerful man, very rich, uh, had great uh, power throughout the land, and he, he was using a lot of slave labor. He was oppressing people throughout the days. But man follows the ways of Satan as a general rule. He's the Lord of this earth. And so the world does not op always operate according to God's will. Uh, for man, as a general rule, has rejected God's, uh, God as a whole. So man, as a general rule, does what is right in his own eyes instead of what is right in God's eyes. So Solomon understands that God will judge, and he will judge all people, the righteous as well as the wicked. And God knows and he holds accountable every deed that man has done. But that's not always clear when we look at the world around us. Remember, uh, look at verse 16, the very first part. I have seen under the sun. That's his earthly, fleshly viewpoint. So he's looking at it from a humanistic viewpoint. He's seeing the injustice. He's seeing the wickedness. Uh, he's seeing the unrighteousness. And he's basically saying, you know, if God's in control, why is all this happening? So he's again taking this fatalistic viewpoint. Uh, many who practice evil in our world today really see very little consequence of the evil that they do. Uh, basically, the world accepts it to a great degree. Uh, we're, we're seeing you know, uh, sexual deviance now being commonplace and accepted by society when at one time they would be, you know, against the law and dealt with, we see all sorts of things. You know, basically the looters and things of this nature that are going into these stores and just taking everything, they know that you know, the, the standard is very high for it to be anything but a misdemeanor. In other words, they can steal up to about $5,000 worth of merchandise and get a slap on the wrist, and they'll just let them go and say, don't do it again. And so we look at the evil practices with very little consequences. Then... Others wonder, is there really a God who cares? Does he care about what's going on? And again, we look at the scripture that says, vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. In other words, don't take vengeance in your own hands, which we want to do a lot of times. Because God is in control, but his judgment is not always immediate. And so only those who know God and his word understand the nature and the timing of God. We understand that God will bring punishment and judgment at any time, but there will definitely be a day when ultimate judgment will take place and an eternal decimate will be set, destination will be set. Problem is, when that takes place, it's too late for anybody to go back and change their ways. So God's judgment will be final. Then we look at verse 18. I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. Now, God tests men even now. Now, the Bible talks about uh, our deeds being tested. It basically says, you know, God's going to put the silver and the gold and the hay and the wood on fire. He's going to test them by fire. And he's going to see what comes out. Well, gold and silver are going to be refined by the fire. 
any impurities within the gold and silver would be melted off and the gold and the silver would be even more pure after the testing than it was before. But what about the wood and the hay? It's going to be burned up with nothing left. And so basically what this is saying is that man is being tested through life's experiences. Uh, through the t testing of man's life, God is already seeing what the man really is, who this person really is. Uh, he's testing him, and through the test, he sees what a man is made of. Is he made of that which is pure, righteous, holy, which is what we should be? Or is he the wood and the hay, and he gets burned up, and there's nothing left to show? So, uh, basically, God's checking our character out as we live. Uh, if he is lacking in character and is tested by God, all that he has will be burned up with nothing left. If man lives his life unto the Lord, then what he uh, shows is he's even more pure than he was before. But here's what Solomon says. If man's life is lived without God, seeing the words, son of men, not sons of God, but these sons of men, their fate is the same as a beast. And so basically he's saying, man without God is no better than a wild animal. And there's probably a lot of truth there. He lives like a beast and he dies like a beast for there's nothing of godly value found in him because he's excluded God from his life. And then he continues that thought in verses 19 through 20. For the fate of the son of men, sons of men and the fate of the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath and there is no advantage for man over beast for all is vanity. All go to the same place. All came from the dust, and all returned to the dust. So the question is, is man any better than beast? Well, are we? Well, after looking at verse 18, we see uh, there the test of God checking up what man is made of. But if we're not careful, we'll assume that that includes all men. What, Sol what Solomon was doing, he was taking a pessimistic view of man in general. And man in general, let's just be honest, is without God. And so they are more like the wild beasts. So it may be easy to assume that this is the same for all people, that all people are evil. But instead, what we see is that evil, evil people seem, seem to dominate those who follow after God. So... Solomon seems to be going to the streams claiming that man is no better than the beast, the wild animals. And so he says, if we're no better than the wild beast, then our, our fate is the same. Man's going to die, so will the wild animal. They both have had the same breath. Uh, they both breathe the air, and they both use their lungs to breathe the air in to get the same air. But because... They seem to, we men, we people of this planet, uh, we seem to be living untamed lives according to the desires of our flesh. Solomon is stating that we don't have an advantage over the beast. If we are like the beast, then the beast will go die, we're going to die. The beast return to the dust of the earth, man's going to return to the dust of the earth. And to a certain degree, that is true. We're all going to die. We are all supposed to return to the dust of this earth. We see that in Genesis. 
But also in Genesis we see in chapter 2, verse 7, a difference between the breath that God gives us. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, breath there is really focusing on the spirit. God breathed a spirit of life into us. We are the only creation that God created that has his spirit in us. So no other creation, no, no other animals have a spirit in them. So for man, when we die, there will be an eternity, either eternity with the Lord in heaven or eternity in the lakes of fire with, with Satan. Uh, that's not going to be the case with animals. Now, I know there's a lot of people who love their pets. Their pets are basically their, their family. But an animal is not the same as a human being. And so we have to look at the truth there. Uh, matter of fact, there really weren't any pets at this time. Uh, I think there were some animals that were being domesticated. I think some cats maybe and things like that. Most dogs were wild. So if you have a have ever had a dog as a pet, that was not the case in Solomon's day. Uh, the only domesticated animals were those that were used for, uh, for food, uh, sheep and goats and cattle and oxen and things of that nature. And so we look and we see that man has the breath of life from God while animal does not. And then as far as... Uh, uh, basically, Solomon says, there is no advantage for man over beast. Well, he hasn't gone back and read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God gave man dominion over all the animal world. And so... Uh, we need to see that man definitely does have an advantage, but we have to look at it as under heaven instead of under the sun. So if you look at life from a humanistic perspective, a man living under the sun, this distinctive uh, really is difficult to see because you don't see the, the hand of God working. You don't see God giving dominion. You don't see that God breathed his spirit into man. But from Solomon's viewpoint, he says, okay, I'm looking at man under the sun, and it is futile, it is vanity, it's worthless. So that's his fatalistic way of looking at mankind. But he gives maybe just a little bit of a ray of hope. Verse 21, who knows that the breath of man ascends upward, and the breath of beasts descend downward to the earth? Well, again, he's a little confused. He's really talking about more of the spirit. After the body dies, what happens to the spirit? Well, who knows? Does the spirit of man go upward to heaven and the spirit of animals go downward to, to hell? Well, again, the beasts, when they die, they die. There is no spirit. There is no afterlife for them. But how about man? Well, there's no guarantee that man's going to go upward. Only those who truly... Uh, believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord, only those who have uh, turned their lives over to God and follow him and live in obedience to him, uh, they will be the ones who will go upward. Uh, their spirit will go upward. 
for those who live in disobedience against God and rebellion towards God, they will go downward towards hell. So the beast, not having a spirit or soul, there is no afterlife for them, but the destiny of man is determined by his relationship with his creator, God. So then we look at verse 22. Maybe there is hope. Solomon says, I have seen that nothing is better than that man should be happy in his activities, for this is his lot. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? Now, if you remember one of our earlier studies, he was saying that no matter what man does, he will never find happiness, joy in what he does because there is no joy without God. And so when he says, I've seen that there's nothing better than for man to be happy in his activities, the only way that we will be happy in our life, in our activities, is to know that God is with us and that God will reward us and bless us through our lives. And so, after all the pessimistic examination of man, and that he's really no better than the wild animals, Solomon seems to remember that there is hope. Man tends to fill his life with many activities, but that does not guarantee happiness. Uh, Man keeps looking for more ways to, to find joy or happiness, and he keeps coming up empty because... He's looking through man's eyes. He's looking through self-centered eyes, and God's not going to bless that. So how can man be happy in his activities? Well, here's the hint. The word who. Last part. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? God. God is the who. God is the one who will show him what happens after life. God will point him to eternity. And God who... Uh, will look at man, man who is in the right relationship with God, will find happiness here on earth. It says uh, in the New Testament, Jesus says, I have come that their joy may be full. Well, does that mean everything in life is going to be perfect? That we'll never face a trial or tribulation or or hardship or, or pain or suffering? No. But with Christ with the Spirit of the Lord in us, no matter what we're going through, we can still find joy. I've I've referred to it probably a thousand times, but uh, Paul and Silas in that deep, dark dungeon of a prison, they were singing praises to God. They found joy, no matter what their situation was. So no matter what man faces in life, he can find joy in all that he does if his relationship is right with God. And that's the who of that. For God will bring him to see what will occur after him. God will show him the eternal life that he has promised them who obey him and honor him and have that right relationship with him. And so those who obey God, we will have eternal life. We will have joy here on earth because we know that our eternity is secure and that God will bless us and use us and give us joy. So, however, we will never uh, be unsatisfied with God. We can be unsatisfied with the flaws of ourselves, but God will never uh, disappoint us. He will always prove himself to us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He'll always be there to bring comfort and strength and guidance in our lives. He'll... Uh, will Give us a reason to live each and every day by faith. And then let me just quote what Paul says. 
It says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get a, along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. But I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul lived life. He experienced a lot of ups, a whole lot of downs. And he always found joy because he knew that he was in God's hands. No matter how tough he, it got, he says, I can do all things because Christ is in me and strengthens me. So we look at what Solomon is saying, and we see this pessimistic, fatalistic viewpoint. And let's just be honest. If you do not know God and you examine the world around you, we would agree with Solomon. We would agree that we see so much injustice. We see very little righteousness, very little goodness. We see a lot of evil and wickedness and injustice. We see people doing whatever they want to do and getting by with it. And we say, where's judgment? Where is the right? If, if there is a God, why isn't God zapping people, throwing lightning bolts down and judging them in the here and now? But the truth is, there are times that God does judge in the here and now. But there is a day of judgment that will be forevermore. So wherever man is prepared to go, that's where he will go. If he has a right relationship with the Lord, he will receive eternal life and joy. If he does not have a right relationship with the Lord, he will face eternal punishment, eternal death. Kind of sad, isn't it? Looking at the viewpoint of life from man's eyes, man under the sun. But you've got to remember, I think personally that Solomon is writing this showing just how fatalistic man sees his condition without God. And so when we see these little glimpses like we saw last week where he's talking about God, he's talking about that relationship, he's talking about the blessings that only God can bring, then we see that uh, there is hope. And he gives a little ray of hope at the end of this passage. But our world around us probably see the world and life a lot like Saul, Solomon is describing here. They don't see good. They don't see justice. They see a lot of evil. And they see a lot of unrighteousness taking place. And so it's easy for our world to have a very pessimistic, fatalist viewpoint of life. What purpose is there to try if this is the end result? But we need to be the spokesman for God, share the love of Christ, and to show them that Jesus did come to bring joy. He came to give it everlastingly. And he says that your joy may be complete and that your joy may be here on earth as well. And so when we serve the Lord, then we have this wonderful gift of joy. Well, let's close with prayer then. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Lord, when we hear such a fatalistic, humanistic viewpoint on the earth and the world around us, Lord, it's easy for us to be depressed because we see it every day. Lord, we see the wars. We see the mistreatment of people. We see the, 
the evil all around us. We see the, the ways that people abuse one another. Or we see injustice, unrighteousness, wickedness. But Lord, we know that you are our God. There will be a day of judgment. And Lord, there are sometimes when judgment comes, the here and now. Lord, we don't see it as readily as we, as humans, would like to see it. So Lord, help us to have faith that you truly are in control and that we, as your children, are receiving rewards even now through your blessing, that you can give us joy and happiness in the life that we live, knowing that we are living for you in all that we do. So Lord, help us to always keep our eyes on you, keep our voices singing praises to you for who you are and what you're already doing in our lives, so that each and every day we will find true joy and happiness in all that we do. God is Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.